Nyata, hello. It's Alison here in Peak Warren country down in southwest Victoria. Like so many women, I know what it is to receive unwanted attention and even assault. The comments about my breasts in primary school and in my early teens, the regular wolf whistles, the propositions. The unsoughtful gawkings and strokings and gropings by teachers and strangers. The later encounters where consent was murky at best. And given what so many of my sisters have experienced, I consider myself one of the lucky ones. Like so many women, I know what it is to hear preachers denigrate me as a sexual being. I know what it is to be told that women are made not in the image of God, but in a misogynist picture of Eve. I know what it is to feel silenced in the church, and I know what it is to be humiliated. And as hilarious as it might seem now, I was once called a seducer, a Jezebel, who was luring Paul away from the church. Like so many women, I've been told countless stories of preachers who condemn women's desire, while grooming women and sometimes children for their own illicit activity, or who blame women for their own victimisation, or who from their position of power tell women who experience family violence that their role is simply to submit and forgive. And like so many women, I have watched as scandal after scandal after scandal unfolds at Hillsong and in the Southern Baptist Convention throughout the Catholic Church and elsewhere, as preachers and priests have used their power to harm those entrusted to their care, while institutions have largely protected and even elevated them. So perhaps you will understand why I exercise a hermeneutic of suspicion these days. Perhaps you'll understand why I ask, who profits from this preaching? And who pays? And is this really the image of God? For example, when a minister insists that women mustn't speak in church, I find it interesting that his theology preferences his own voice. When a pastor tells me that he cannot possibly meet with or mentor a woman because to do so is intrinsically dangerous, then I wonder what's going on in his heart. When Jeremiah declares that you have the forehead of a whore, I think, and how exactly do you know what that looks like? When an eminent speaker jokes that he's married because he persuaded his wife that this was God's desire. I see that God is an object pressed into his service. I hear the whisper of blasphemy. When a megachurch pastor publicly describes his wife as a hottie and suggests that every woman should learn how to pole dance, well, words pretty much fail me. And when Hosea announces that God told him to marry a promiscuous woman, I raise an eyebrow. When he declares that their marriage is an object lesson for how God loves a faithless Israel, I think, oh really? When he says that God told him to name their daughter Lo Ruhamah, which means deprived of mother love, and their youngest son Lo Ami, which means not mine, my skin crawls. 
And when he goes on to describe God inflicting pain and then showering gifts, I remember the typical cycle of family violence. And when he describes in great and lascivious detail the punishment God will inflict on Israel, the punishment he reckons she deserves for her so-called faithlessness, I hope his wife has triple O on hot dial. Because we all know it's no step at all from an image of God to an expression of that image, especially when someone has explicitly cast himself in God's shoes. And this is precisely what Hosea has done. For Hosea has portrayed himself in this preaching as God, and this should set off our alarm bells every single time. For by his telling, Hosea is the husband who represents the Holy One, while his wife, slut-shamed from the pulpit, publicly humiliated and then showered with gifts and then sexually spurned in chapter 3, whose children are named for lovelessness and rejection. Well, she's merely the corrupt and faithless Israel, about due for a good beating. It doesn't have to be like this. Every prophet, every preacher makes choices about which texts they elevate, which metaphors they use, and how they speak of God and people. Hosea might have been working in the Stone Age when violence against women might have been more socially acceptable, but most of the prophets said no. Most of the prophets used other ways to speak of God and of God's relationship with Israel. And Jesus, too, said no. You have heard it said, he would begin, quoting the Jewish scriptures. But I tell you, and the way he told it was love. The way he told it was to empty himself of power and to raise up others, and to fill them with the free gift of his Spirit. The way he told it was that those who seek to dominate will be last in the kingdom, while those who are vulnerable come first. The way he told it was that women are ministers and children are central, and if our words or deeds trip up their faith, it would be better for us to wear concrete boots and be thrown into the sea. The way he told it, no woman was too slutty, too despised, too bloody, too forward, or too alien to be treated with respect and love. The way he told it, he came not to condemn, and men shut their mouths, and put down their stones, and quietly slipped away. The way he told it, Hosea does not look like the image of God, for this would mean looking a whole lot more like Jesus. And we are followers of Jesus, not Hosea. So, do we throw Hosea away? Perhaps. But I think there's an alternative, and I find it in the phenomenon of preaching. Like so many preachers, I've had times when someone has come up to me after a service, tears in their eyes, and they've said, thank you, thank you. When you said blah, 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 something deep clicked in me. 
something powerful, something healing, something true. And I've thought, whoa, I never said that. But I keep my mouth shut. Because I recognize in this the work of the Holy Spirit who moved between us and opened their heart to what they needed to hear. And so I believe that God can speak even through Hosea, though perhaps not in the way that Hosea planned. Because if we sit with this passage, we just might find an image of God, an image which is Christ-like and powerful and healing and true. But this image is not found in Hosea the husband. Instead, it's found in the slut-shamed woman whom Hosea never calls by name. Goma, daughter of Diblaim. Goma, who marries Hosea and joins with him to form a prophetic family, even as scandal and shame and her own husband's words hang over her like a cloud. Goma, who conceives and carries and births a son who is named by his father Jezreel. Goma, who conceives and carries and births a daughter, who is named by her father, deprived of mother love. Yet Goma feeds her until she's weaned. Goma, who conceives and carries and births another son, who is named by his father, not mine. And all because God told him so. And through this all, Goma is described as promiscuous. Most all-male translation committees describe her as whore, but the Hebrew isn't the word for sex worker. The better translation is promiscuous. That is, Goma is a woman who loves abundantly, recklessly, without shame. And while there's no evidence of her loving outside marriage, she does indeed love well. For she loves her children she carries them, she births them, and the text tells us that she breastfeeds them. Even little Lo Ruhamah, the one apparently deprived of mother love, is held skin to skin against her mother's heart as she suckles her mother's breast and plays with her mother's hair and gazes into her mother's ever-loving eyes. Indeed, Goma feeds and nurtures and cherishes her children. Whatever her husband or anyone else calls them, and whatever they call her, Goma quietly rolls her eyes and holds them close and loves them. And in this love, this promiscuous, overflowing abundance of love, I see the face of God. I see the one who knit us in our own mother's wombs and the one who longs to gather us as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I see the one who's described as she-eagle or mother bear, fiercely protective of her cubs. I see the face of the God who throughout the scriptures mother loves, even as translators and preachers iron out the feminine and flatten it down to mercy or compassion. But misogynistic manipulations of the text can't change the fact God is promiscuous in love. God loves like Goma. 
because God loves those whom nobody else loves and tenderly touches those whom no one else will touch. God loves insiders, yes, but will not be limited. God crosses all boundaries to love. God loves Jews and Gentiles and Ethiopian eunuchs and bleeding women and leprous men. God loves and loves and loves. God loves those who've been told they're unworthy and those who've been rejected, whether for their own actions or for what others have inflicted upon them. God loves feminist preachers and misogynist pastors, even those who misrepresent her love and use her to inflict violence. Because God loves sinners and God loves the righteous. God loves the just and the unjust. God loves and loves and loves. This is the God I see in Goma. The God who entered the womb of a young girl in Nazareth. That girl who conceives a child out of wedlock and is called every name once hurled at Goma. I see the one who called a filthy, despised woman, daughter, and the one who would not cast the first stone. I see the one who chose to spend time with women like Goma, rather than hang out with men like Hosea. I see the one who relaxed as he was massaged with fragrant oils and then caressed by a promiscuous woman's hair, and who refused to be shamed for it, or to allow others to shame her. I see the one who frequently lay down with the beloved disciple nestled against his breast. I see the one who bore rejection, humiliation and shame on his own body, and who refused to retaliate, and who was condemned and killed by violent men. And I see the risen one, who commissioned shocked and grieving women to proclaim the joy of resurrection and the death-shattering power of non-violent love, knowing that they would not be believed by the men. You have heard it said, well, many things, but I say to you, in the slut-shamed woman who is known for her reckless love, in the mother who pours love into children branded with lovelessness and rejection, in the woman who intimately knows abuse and humiliation and shame, in this woman, in Goma, we see the love of God and we see the face of Christ. Thanks be to God, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, one God and mother of us all. Amen. This reflection bears a debt of gratitude to the Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney, who clarified my thinking about this in a sermon. There's always more to read on our website. That's sanctuarybaptist.org. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. And if you'd like to support this work, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you'll find the details for this on the website. This recording was made on the lands of the Peak Warring people of the Eastern Ma Nation, a land taken by force and never ceded. This week, the fields are covered in heavy frost, 
thick fog blankets the early morning, but the light is beginning to return. I pay my respects to elders past and present. The peace of the land be with us all. Amen.